All right. How, how, how many of you love being on time? Go ahead and do it, raise your hand. Just, you love it. How many of you, you just, you're never on time? Let's just be honest. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thank you for your, for your honesty. And thanks. You're here. That's great. Thanks for braving the snow, uh, by the way. I love to be on time. I am obsessed with efficiency. And so uh, every night before I go to bed, as I'm thinking about my next day, I'm planning out my next day often uh, by the minute, and I'm not exaggerating. And so if it's a typical uh, weekday, I know that my alarm's going to go off at 5.45. I've already set a goal that I want to be downstairs by 6 uh, 17. I want to be out of my house by 6.25. I want to be sitting at my desk at 6.33. And I literally run a large portion of my day like that. I, I'll get to a certain task and I'll kind of task out my day and say, okay, I have seven minutes to accomplish that one. Try and get it under seven until you get to the next one. I even track my sleep so I can get the littlest amount of sleep possible and yet still feel good enough to maximize my detailed plan for the next day. Now, this sort of philosophy is all well if you want to accomplish a lot uh, with your life, but there are some inherent downsides to it, right? Like, some of you just get nervous just listening to that, right? Like, I just feel bad for you as I listen, right? Like, what if things don't go according to plan? Or what if I'm doing one thing and it just takes three times longer than I had budgeted it for, right? And of course, there's a a broader uh, spiritual impact as well. What if God isn't interested in working according to my timing? Uh, Today's uh, passage we're going to look at in Scripture from Luke chapter 8 is a great reminder that often God doesn't work according to our timing. Uh, If you want to follow along today, there is a Bible under every chair. Uh, We're going to be on page 840. Uh, Or you can uh, use the Renovation app. You just have Bible and weekly verses. It's all there as well. Uh, For the last uh, year now, on and off, we've kind of interspersed it with other series. We've been going just verse by verse uh, through the entire book of Luke in the Bible. Uh, Luke is one of four books in Scripture about the life of Jesus. And we've gotten to the end of chapter 8, where Jesus, Jesus is up in Galilee, which is north of Jerusalem, doing a ministry. And today, we actually have two stories in sandwich form. So there's one story, but another one is kind of jammed right in the middle of it. So Luke chapter 8, and we're going to start reading right at verse 40. Here we go. It says, Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, uh, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that the power has gone out from me. Then the woman seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe, 
and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. Okay, let's actually start with the woman in the middle of the story. Okay, so this woman has something wrong with her reproductive system. She's been suffering from abnormal bleeding for 12 years. In fact, uh, the Gospel of Mark, which also has a story, tells us that the woman had spent all she had on doctors and still had found no cure. But in fact, uh, for this woman, things are actually much worse than we could even imagine. So not only is she chronically ill and now in abject poverty, culturally, her condition would have made her an outcast. So in in Jewish culture, uh, any irregular flow of blood would have made one unclean to society. Now, there, there were sort of purification rites you could go about, but if this was a perpetual problem, basically all the time, she would have been excluded from religious and social circles. And additionally, anyone that she came into contact with, then they would also be excluded. And so this woman essentially became an outcast. And yet, much like the leper, I don't know if you remember this from Luke chapter 5 that we studied. Do you remember when he, he risked the pursuit of Jesus? This was the summer. And he, <clears throat> it didn't actually happen this summer, but we talked about it this summer. He, <laughs> he, he leaves his leper colony and he goes into town to see Jesus, even though he wasn't supposed to do that. And this woman, too, she fights her way through the crowd, comes up to Jesus, and touches his cloak. And then Jesus calls her forward, and she comes trembling. And she's trembling because she knows that she wasn't supposed to come into contact with people, and she certainly did, navigating through the crowd. And she's trembling because some people are going to think that she now even made Jesus unclean. But of course, that's impossible, right? Because He's the son of God, and his cleanness has made her clean. It's made her well, and her faith has saved her. Now, this is great and all, but I want you to think about this story from Jairus' perspective. Now, if you don't remember, Jairus was the synagogue leader. Synagogue, if you don't know that word, that's like a place of worship for a Jew. He was the leader whose 12-year-old daughter is about to die. Now, Jesus has agreed to help his daughter, but on the way, he stops, and he starts talking with this woman instead. Now, if you're Jairus, what are you thinking as Jesus stops and talks with that woman? Now, if, if that were me, and it was my daughter who was sick, <laughs> some of you know this about me, I, I would be absolutely losing my mind while Jesus stopped and talked to this other woman. I'm just imagining myself going, uh, excuse me, Jesus. uh, (laughs) I heard that woman saying she had been uh, sick for 12 12 years now. Uh, My daughter could die in 12 minutes. And so why don't you come help my daughter and then you can come back and help this woman. Like, imagine that you're Jairus. 
and your heart rate, right, is just going through the roof as you're just waiting for Jesus to finish talking with this other woman, right? And the minutes to you probably seem like hours, maybe like days, and you're just, oh, seriously, it's just like pacing, hurry up, pacing back and forth. Oh, this is, just heal her, get it over with, right? And then out of the corner of your eye, you see a relative coming from your house with a dreadful look on their face. And they come up to you and they say, it's too late. Your daughter is dead. Oh, man. Like, I, I can't tell you exactly how I would act, but I'm pretty sure if I look, when I look deep into my sinful heart, I'm pretty sure that I would approach Jesus and give him a piece of my mind on his lack of time management. That's what I think I would do. Like, have you been there? I mean, I think we've all been here. Like, we have this point in our lives where we decided that God was supposed to come through, like at a certain time, like in a certain way, but he did not. And that moment that he doesn't come through, like according to our timeline, can feel absolutely crushing. Like get into Jairus' heart at that moment. He hears the words, your daughter is dead. What does he feel towards Jesus at that moment? The scripture says, I don't know if you caught this in the passage, it says, while Jesus was still talking. So he's still talking to this other woman when the word comes. What does Jairus feel towards Jesus and his timing at this point? Probably anger, frustration. Certainly he may be losing his faith that Jesus really is who he said he was. I was like, why do we feel like that? Because I feel like that sometimes. Why do we feel like that in those moments? I think for many of us, it's because, especially in the modern world, we've become so accustomed to living our lives as if we are in control, as if we're somehow controlling our path for what the future looks like. I think every single one of us has to answer this question about our faith. Here's a question. Do you believe in him, like just him, or do you believe in him accomplishing your agenda? Which one of those is more apt to describe you? Do you follow Jesus? Or do you just want Jesus to follow you and assist you on your agenda? Now, over the years as a pastor, I've heard too many people this time say a sentence that goes like this. I used to have faith, but then they describe something that didn't go as they had anticipated that it would go. They'll say, I, I, I prayed for this person, and they didn't get better. I, I used to have faith, and then I prayed that I would be able to marry this person, and they broke it off. Most of the time, when we're upset at God, we're upset because he didn't come through according to our agenda, which is not the same as him not coming through. Listen, Jesus did not come through according to Jairus' timing, according to Jairus' timeline of how he thought it would go. Like when the messenger came and said, your daughter is dead, according to Jairus' perspective at that time, Jesus was too late. Jesus had failed him. But was Jesus late? No. Jesus 
is always on time. His timing is always right. Uh, think of it this way. For those of you that have kids, I know there's a number of you, especially in second service, you have teenagers. Uh, how many of you have had to have a, a self, the cell phone conversation with, with your kids, right? Your kid comes up to you and says, Mom, Dad, I need a phone. As you can see, I'm already seven, right? <laughs> so you say, no. Uh, <laughs> and really two reasons. Uh, one, as you, as you said, um, you're seven. <laughs> and two, like the, no, like the timing is not right for this. And what's going to happen? Right? They're going to react. Right? You're going to see the, oh, like the flare of drama. Right? And they're going to say, I can't believe you. You're ruining my life. It's like you don't love me. Well, what, what, okay, what's that reaction? Because you're going to see it in ourselves. Well, they're reacting because they believe that your sense of timing is all wrong. Uh, they actually believe that it's not even right, that it's not wise. But you're still going to go forward with your decision, right? Because you, you, let's put you here, you know and you understand some things about life that they at 7 or 12 or 15 just don't understand yet, right? And so you make that decision. Well, if you think that's kind of a large chasm in between your understanding and theirs, I assure you that the chasm between your understanding of timing and God's understanding of timing is infinitely greater. I have a pastor friend who I've been trying to steal this phrase from him. He, he wakes up every single morning and the very first thing he says as he rolls out of bed is, there is a God, and it's not me. And I just like that phrase because I think Christian maturity requires us constantly, sometimes painfully, acknowledging that God's plan is always better than ours. Even when we can't understand it. Even when they say, your daughter is dead. His way has to always be better than mine. It has to. But otherwise, if there's some places where I go, no, I could have done that. Like, if that's true, then I should be God. And that, I, that's not a conclusion I want to land on. This, this idea that God's way is, is right, that he's in control, like, it's an easy thing to say, but I don't think it's an easy thing to believe. To me, uh, one of the most gripping moments of this fascinating passage is Jairus gets the word that his only daughter is dead. And right in that moment, Jesus just looks right to him. You can just imagine Jesus just grabbing him, looking in his eyes and saying, hey, 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 don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Just believe. And when life isn't working out like you thought it would, and you, you feel your body just tensing up, your heart starting to doubt, starting to question God, would you just hear this from the word of God this morning? Don't be afraid. Just believe. You know, I, I think often when God seems to delay from our perspective, it's not because he's late. Often it's because you were early. Like he's got something planned that will be far greater than what would have happened if he would have come on your timing. Now, this isn't always the case. I don't want to 
turn this into some nice cheap platitude, right? For sometimes the road ahead is just going to be rougher. But I also, on the same time, I can't tell you how many times in my life that if God would have operated on my timeline that I gave him, the results would have been significantly inferior to what he actually accomplished when he did it later on his timeline. You see, Jesus is always on time. Like if Jesus would have come on Jairus' timeline, okay, well, he would have come, he would have healed her from her sickness, like that's great, but on Jesus' timeline, he raised her from the dead. Jesus wasn't late, Jairus was just early. Jesus is always on time. Do you believe that for your life? I said that we, we struggle to trust in his timing because we just want to trust our own timing, but what's at the root of that? The reason I think so many of us lower our faith, some people even lose their faith when God doesn't act according to their timeline, the reason is that's because of our pride. It's pride that says, I know, I know what he should have done and when he should have done it. That's pride. That's unfathomable arrogance to an almighty God. And we all do it. And he has mercy on us. But it's pride. There's something else that God wants you to see in this sandwich of stories. There's a reason that God has sandwiched them together. For those of you that have read the Gospels, you've read through the life of Jesus, let me ask you this question. Who is it, what type of person is it that's always just coming to Jesus? What type of person is it that Jesus tends to like work with? He uses them, he transforms their life, uses them in a mighty way. The type of person is the person that keeps coming to Jesus in humility, not in pride. It's the type of person that comes to Jesus and they know that they need him. And I will tell you, this is an enormous obstacle to faith in suburban America. Because most of you aren't all that convinced that you really, truly need Jesus. Because kind of are controlling your life and it's kind of going okay. But if that's the case, I would just say to you, put your seatbelt on because your loving Father in heaven will do whatever it takes to prove to you that you have no control over your life. To prove to you that you are not the one setting the future course projections for your life. Why would he do that? Because if you keep on persisting and insisting that you are in control, well, then you're never going to go to him because you're never going to believe that you truly need him. Who goes to him in the scriptures? Think about this. right? It's the deaf and the blind. They run to Jesus. It's the poor. They run to Jesus. It's those who look at their life and go, I am such, in the eyes of God, I am such a miserable sinner. I just need to go to Jesus. And they come and he transforms them and he uses them mightily. But it's the rich in the Bible. I think of the rich young ruler, right? He comes to Jesus and Jesus says, leave it behind, follow me. And he goes, I just, I just, I'm actually doing kind of okay. I just, 
no thank you. Right? It's, in the Gospels, it's the people who they look at themselves compared to everyone else on their street that they live with, and they feel like, oh, those people do this and this, and I'm kind of a good person because I abide by this, this, and this. Those are the people that are standoffish from Jesus. And they kind of stand back and scoff at his decisions and question his timing. Who are the people that come to Jesus? What do you see in Luke chapter 8? The woman with chronic bleeding. She knows she needs Jesus. Jairus. Right, he's probably successful, well-liked, he's a leader. But when his daughter is minutes away from dying, right, it doesn't matter how smart he is or how influential he is, he just needs Jesus. I mean, okay, you have two people, right? You have a woman who was an outcast for 12 years. You have Jairus and his daughter who have probably been well-liked and healthy for 12 years. And yet at the feet of Jesus... Everyone is the same. At the feet of Jesus, we acknowledge that we bring nothing. We control nothing. We know nothing of his timing. Except that is right. But you won't truly come to God until you acknowledge that in your life. You're going to keep holding on to control like, no, I got this and things have gone pretty well for me. I've got my life planned out. You won't truly come to him. For some of you, that's the first time. You just need to surrender your life to Jesus. That he died on the cross for your sins and he wants to radically change your life. You just need to surrender it to him. And for, for some of the rest of us, it's just to say, I need to just surrender. To, what am I doing trying to control my life? I need to surrender to you afresh. We need to confess our pride to him that we sometimes tell him how he should act. Because if we can do that, then, he, then we can get close to him. And when we get close to him, then he can use us. Jesus isn't looking for you to come to him and ask him to bless the timing of your own agenda. He wants you to come down. He wants you to bow down at his feet. Notice both of the people in the passage, they bow down at his feet. And he wants you to say, all right, your your will. You, 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 You tell me what to do. You guide my life. Right? That's, what, that's what Jairus is able to do in that moment when Jesus says, don't be afraid, just believe. You know, in a, in a church of size, inevitably there are some of you that you're in a moment of your life right now where it's one of those moments it's like someone has just come and said, your daughter is dead. It's just crisis in life. And you cannot understand, it, is, it feels almost impossible to understand what he is doing right now. If you're there, or for the rest of you, we're just, this is life, right? We're just going to be there at some point. When you get there, whatever you do, I plead with you as a follower of Christ, do not shake your head and decide that Jesus' timing is all wrong. Because if you do that, then you're no different than if Jairus would have walked away in disgust. Can you imagine that? Because he could have done that, right? Okay, so the relative comes. He says, your daughter is dead as Jairus is watching Jesus. Just carry on with this other woman. Jairus walks over to Jesus. Jesus says, hey, don't be afraid. Just believe. Jairus so easily could have looked at Jesus and said, no, Jesus. I won't believe. You let my daughter die. You did. 
I'm out. He could have done that. We do that. Sometimes in our hardest moments, we do that. In our arrogance, we scold his timing and his plan. And in doing so, it's like we inject our hearts with this coldness. But worst of all, we refuse to look at what he's going to do. He wants to bring resurrection to your life, but all we see is death. And so when you hit those moments in your life where life just stops you, like you had your plan for the day or the next month and something just, it's an accident, it's something from the doctor, it's, 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 life just stops, right? In those moments when God isn't acting according to our plan and our timing, as painful as they are, every one of those moments is a blessed opportunity for you to let go of the grip you have on the agenda for your life and just drop it finally at the feet of Jesus. Let me ask you this. Do you believe that if you were fully surrendered to Jesus, that he can run your life better than you can? Do you believe that? And if you do, then it's time to let go. Like, it's time to stop telling him that he made a mistake. He doesn't make mistakes. Like, Jairus, this is why I love the word of God. Like, what an example for us. Okay, he takes Jesus at his word. He tries not to fear. He trades in his anxiety. Like, what is anxiety but uh, I hope that we can kind of control how things go. He trades in his anxiety, trades in his fear, and he goes with faith. He says, all right, okay, I'm going to say, you told me, just believe, I'm just going to follow you. And he follows Jesus back to his house. And he walks through the living room of weeping and, and wailing, and he walks into his daughter's bedroom where her lifeless body lays, his own daughter. But it's because he kept his faith in Jesus' timing, that he gets to see Jesus bring his own daughter back from the dead. Right? He gets to see with his own eyes, and now he's going to believe deeply in his heart that Jesus is always on time. Like, uh, this, this is what Jesus wants for you this morning. Do not turn away just because his timing doesn't look like yours. Don't run away, or you're going to miss it. Like, and even if you never get to that moment on earth where you're like, oh, that's why it happened, or that totally makes sense. Even if you never get to that sort of clarity from the perspective of this side of earth's history, and things in your mind, as you can see them on earth, they don't even appear to work out. Even if death should overtake you, even if death should overtake you long before you thought it was your time, right? Because the world calls that the greatest evil, death, early death, even worse. Doesn't his forgiveness, his complete forgiveness for the believer from the cross, like doesn't that prove that his timing, even in your death, is good and it is right? Like for what is death but just a momentary suffering that ushers the Christian into absolute joy and glory for eternity? Jesus is always on time. A few years ago, I came across a, a true story of a pastor in Illinois and his a sister. 
And it's just always stuck with me. Honestly, I think about this story like once a month. There's a guy named Pastor Steve Yeshik was his name, and he had a sister named Judy. Judy was a woman, as Steve described her, uh, she was just basically a party animal. Huge drinker, self-contented lifestyle, always out with people. She was the life of the party, just by definition. Everybody loved her. She just sort of exuded this excitement and thrill for life. Uh, whenever her brother, who was the pastor, tried to share Jesus with her, she'd just kind of laugh it off and just keep partying. But at the age of 44, her world caved in. She found out that she had uh, breast cancer. A little later, she found out that her husband also had cancer. Shortly after that, her husband revealed to her that he had been having a secret affair and that he didn't love her anymore, and he left. All within a short time period. Now, an observer might look at that and say, what kind of timing is that, God? Like, if you're some good God, what kind of timing is that? And yet, it was in that context of that suffering that Judy began to ask the eternal questions, and soon she prayed to receive Jesus as her Savior. And Jesus and his word and his purpose became her priority. And with the same gusto that she lived her life as an unbeliever, she now approached her new life in Christ. And her greatest aim was just winning other people to Christ. And so she would boldly share her faith, uh, even as she was undergoing surgery after surgery and just praying that God would just miraculously heal her. However, what happened is that Judy came to believe that the actual greater miracle would be if her friends and family came to know Christ. And so here's what happened, and I don't want you to miss this. She gave herself completely over to whatever his timing would be for her life, whenever that would be, instead of insisting that he operate by the demands of her timing. She just said, whatever whatever your timing is, I'm just going to live for you in that moment, and I'm going to trust that it's right. The days went on, and she got worse and worse, got to the point where she was even struggling to breathe a little bit. And she talked her way out of the hospital 10 days before her death so she could be baptized and publicly proclaim that Jesus was the only way to salvation. So Judy, because she was always this life of the party person, she invited absolutely everyone she knew to her baptism. And under the Spirit's power, she powerfully and urgently, right, shared her testimony. And that night, her 84-year-old father came to faith in Christ that night, and they baptized him that night, along with her ex-husband, who also came to Christ, a number of nieces, a college roommate who was a New Age cultist, her aunt, her sister, and plenty of others. Ten days later, Judy died. She wasn't done. When her brother Steve read the message she had prepared already for her own funeral service, another 100 people accepted Christ that day at her funeral. Jesus is always on time. Always. Always. 